William Shatner tricks Paramount into letting Captain Kirk search for God. Cybok takes us down to Paradise City, where there is no grass and the girls are kitties. I'm Captain Awesome. And I'm the Dribble Hippie. Welcome aboard. Find something to grab onto. There are no seatbelts on this bridge. Star Trek Five. Oh man, of all of the movies for us to have to redo. Okay, so we tried doing Star Trek Five before; it did not go well, which says a lot about Star Trek Five. This is <laughs> the whole thing is just cursed all the way oh, from the beginning. This has got to be the worst movie in the entire series. Uh, released June 9th of nineteen eighty nine, and the real uh, irony here is that. It's not even as bad as it as it originally was going to be. This is the Fair. better version. And to be clear, I've always really wanted to avoid this avoid this podcast being a, a angry nerd podcast. Uh, but this one makes it really hard. So I'm going to be charitable here. Going to just run down some of the challenges we had here. First of all, Paramount didn't want it good. They wanted it Thursday. Um, this was a movie that was put on time constraints. And during that time constraints, you had both a writer's uh, strike as well as a teamster strike. Also, um, taking from William Shatner's point of view on this, the movie was originally supposed to have about triple the budget that it did. According to him, he was promised a certain amount of money and Sean Connery in this film, which was going to make it a blockbuster film. And once he started rolling and once he was already in pre-production come to find out he's not getting Sean Connery and he's not getting around 50 million that he was, he thought was going to be involved in the production. Now this is, this is taken from uh, the book his daughter wrote about the pre-production. So this is purely Shatner's point of view on that. Can you imagine though, showing up for day one of work and finding out I'm not going to be paid $50 million. Oh, and by the way, we swapped out, Sean Connery for Lawrence Luckinbill. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Now, on top of that, when you have all all of those challenges going, also, this is they're shooting this movie at the same time they're producing this movie actually at the same time that they're producing Raiders um, of the no, not Raiders, pardon me, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which is where Connery ended up. And Ghostbusters too. Now, it wasn't that Bill Murray was going to end up being in Star Trek. That's not the point. The point is all of your best industrial light and magic technicians are working on those two films. So ILM, who has done all of your production in your previous movies, now is not available. Okay, but let's be honest. Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray in this movie would have been so much better. Oh, oh, I yeah. Right. Like if someone asks you if you're a God, Ray, you say yes. (laughs) And nothing, nothing against Lawrence Luckabill in the least, but honestly, Bill Murray as Cybok, that could have worked. So it turns out Cybok's played by Lawrence Luckabill, who, interestingly enough, married to Lucy Arnaz, daughter of Lucy and Desi Arnaz, which is crazy considering the fact that the original series was actually filmed on, um, Desilu. Uh, Desilu. 
on Desilu's down stages. It's just, it's crazy how some of this stuff just comes around and around and around. Star Trek beings, people back. Right. Um, now, as we mentioned before, we did have to re-record this episode. Unfortunately, since the last time we recorded it, we've lost two of our uh, family members from the Star Trek universe. Uh, first, we lost uh, David Warner, who is huge in this movie. Yes. Um, and then we also lost uh, Nichelle Nichols uh, just uh, not too long ago. Um, yeah, so. that, that one was kind of rough. If yeah, if you've not seen the documentary Woman in Motion um, on Paramount, highly recommend it. Uh, it really shows the work that uh, Miss Nichols did with NASA to uh, uh, diversify and expand the astronaut base uh, for the shuttle program. It's a really, really fascinating account. Cannot stress that enough. Watch this movie. Michelle Nichols worked with NASA. Real space. It's, it's amazing. Now, uh, going back to David Warner, um, he is one of my favorites in the Star Trek universe. Uh, he's had three different roles. Uh, out of those three different roles, this is his first one. He will play a human. The next movie, he's going to go on to play a Klingon. And then lastly, he'll play a Cardassian on Deep Space Nine. And every single one of those roles is iconic and fantastic, except this one because it's in Star Trek V and nothing's good in Star Trek V. Okay. One quick, one quick mention. Yes. It wasn't Deep Space Nine. It was TNG. Oh, I did it again. I did it again. <laughs> You're right. It was not Deep Space Nine. It was TNG. You know what the worst part about this is? It is hands down one of my favorite episodes of TNG. I mean. Agreed. I cannot believe I just called it that. Oh, agreed. Right. I'm I'm uh, a huge I'm a huge Edward Jellico fan. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go sit in the the shame closet for a while. <laughs> I just love you. You go from one captain to you know make it so to the other captain get it done. Right. <laughs> He's fantastic. Um, I I just I just love that uh, that mentality of like. Listen, I'm not the old guy. I'm going to do this my way. If you don't like it, uh, you know, there's the door. Unfortunately, I've worked for that guy before. He's not fun to work for. Yeah, to think when he came aboard and he saw the comfortable seats there, he thought, these people are soft. Right? Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see here. So, so we're going we're gonna to start the movie in Nimbus 3. Nimbus 3, the planet of inter intergalactic peace. And right now, here's something that I uh, kind of learned. We uh, we come upon a man digging uh, holes. Um, John, his, the character's name is, um, digging holes in the desert. And uh, and he sees a man in the distance riding a horse-like creature. Now, John, the character we very first see, is played by Rex Holman. Rex Holman actually played Morgan Earp on the original Star Trek series episode, Star Trek Spectre of the Gun, the, the Wyatt Earp, uh, okay. Corral episode. And this was actually his very last credited part. Oh, that's, I did not know that he was in the, uh, NTOS like that. That's yeah. That's, that, uh, that surprised me as well. I had to, I had to look it up a couple of different places. I was like, that's not the same dude. It's like, no, that was the same dude. I mean, I'll be honest. Uh, he, he was in a couple of movies in the late eighties and early nineties as you know, this weird looking older bald guy and yes. seeing him as a young guy with hair is weird. <laughs> I have to agree. Cause that's like I said, that's when I had to look at a few. I was like, that's not the same dude. No, no, right? that's the same dude. 
Yeah, and he he also used to always wear a big uh, big bushy beard too. Yeah, super weird. Yes. But, but we I don't know. And this is actually a scene that that from the beginning actually kind of starts. It has a very Lawrence of Arabia style, which Shatner talked about. He was trying to achieve on this, and he actually does a pretty good job up until the point where Cybok actually dismounts the horse and we actually meet the character because we've had all this dramatic lead up up to this point. And then Cybok gets, Cybok gets off the horse and we have, first of all, we have the same sand film effect that we had from Wrath of Khan on SETI Alpha 5, which mm-hmm. was unnecessary because you also have a bunch of wind sound effects and neither of their clothes are moving. Yeah, this didn't need this. This is there's a number of decisions, directorial decisions in this film that I just do not understand. Now, I don't want to put this all on Shatner because, to be honest, Shatner directed a number of T.J. Hooker episodes, and I don't hear anybody ever talking about those were the worst T.J. Hooker episodes. Okay, so you you haven't been to my my uh, fan website for T.J. Hooker. (laughs) Oh, no, we we totally we talk smack about the Shatner episodes. (laughs) So I stand corrected. (laughs) Uh, Incidentally, we have a podcast, too. It's called Shat the Bed. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Oh, some something you should let you know, David and I uh, uh, once programmed a uh, text T.J. Hooker game on Apple, too. Um, That was it was all text based and you had to make choices. And basically the way that you won the game is that if you could throw your gun away and beat the bad guy up at the, at the very end, rather than shoot him, then that was like the way that you really just so we're clear. I was kidding. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not, I was teaching David how to program in basic. And that was the project <laughs> that we chose to uh, learn how to do if then statements and, uh, and databases. Dear God. <laughs> Thank you for not unleashing that on the world. <laughs> <laughs> so as, as we stated, uh, uh, Shatner is the one who's directing this movie. Um, yes. Somebody let him do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there's a lot of weird decisions in this movie. Um, and as you watch it, you start to realize over and over again. Yeah. That Shatner would totally do that. Yeah. <laughs> So the, the question I have is this from, from Paramount's point of view, their whole thing is, okay, we made a couple of bad decisions, but we were trying to get the movie out for the summer blockbuster time. And that's why all this stuff happened from Shatner's point. Now here's, here's an alternative. This movie is only made because Shatner's contract says anything that Nimoy gets, I get now. I have read recently that he agreed before he did Star Trek four, that he was going to get to direct Star Trek five. However, at the time, that's not the way the story was put out. The story was put out. There probably wasn't going to be a Star Trek five and Shatner forced Paramount to make the film to fulfill his contract. Yeah. And if that were the case, then I could definitely see studio executives, which of course are always the most mature of human beings deciding to just royally screw him on this whole deal. Hey, we'll give you, we'll give you $75 million and Sean Connery. Oh, you've done most of your pre-production already. And that cost a bunch of money. Guess what? You're not getting Sean Connery. You're not getting that much money. You know, it's interesting that 
as as much of a crap show as this was, still Shatner managed to convince everybody to come back. Yes, even even the people who were very outspoken about how much they hated him, like George Takai. <laughs> <laughs> still, he managed to talk him into coming back. So I, you know what, I I will give him credit where it's due. At the very least, he's a decent producer. And it sounds like he was an yeah an actor's director because both. Uh, Kelly and Takai both made uh, made mention of just how much they enjoyed working with him as a director. Yeah, uh, Takai specifically said that uh, um, he he maintained a quote creative and enthusiastic atmosphere on set, which I thought was really surprising coming from him. Yes, yes, considering their numerous difficulties. Right. So we we see this desert planet, Cybok. Uh, he starts laughing as soon as the the guy notices that he's a Vulcan, which tells us a lot about this character right off the bat, (laughs) that he is the laughing Vulcan. I believe in the, uh, in uh, the Star Trek novels that were written by Diane Duane, I believe the laughing Vulcan was a pizza place in Shikar. (laughs) I'm not kidding about that. (laughs) Oh God. (laughs) Oh, um, Incidentally, in uh, No Man's Sky, I have a ship that's called the Vulcan's Donkey. <laughs> no relation to any of this whatsoever. It just made me laugh. Uh, so, uh, so we're we're gonna hop on over to Earth because you know humans. That's where they go. They go to Earth, and uh, we're on shore leave with with uh, Kirk, Spock, Bones, Chekhov, and Sulu. Oh, one thing I do want to mention when we start, when we go out of the thing, we go into the title sequence of the movie and right away we're greeted with the theme song from the first movie. So right away we can see the savings are right there on the screen, (laughs) right? It's pretty dramatic, but at least they played it at full speed. Unlike the first movie who liked to slow it down all the time. And and oddly enough, at this time, they chose that even though it was the theme song for the TV show, Star Trek Next Generation, was, which was in production at this time. Well, yeah. I mean, it's 1989. They've been on the air for three years, two years. Yeah. Uh, they were in second season. They were in yeah. second season when this one was shot. So, like, everybody knows that song as being TNG. So when this movie <laughs> comes out, there's a lot of us that were sitting there going, uh, what's going on? That's odd. <laughs> I mean, at the time I was what 12. Yeah, I was 12. And, you know, I really liked Star Trek four a lot. So getting the chance to watch this one, I was like, yeah, new movie. It's going to be just as good as the last one. This is awesome. Not only was I horrendously let down, but I was also sitting there going, why are they stealing so much from everything else? <laughs> now it they makes project- sense. They projected this movie was going to bring in 200 million. <laughs> it's final including uh foreign ended up being uh just over 60 million i believe and in some countries it actually went straight to video yeah that's not surprising <laughs> so we do see the camping sequence and we get to see captain kirk doing heroic things like captain kirk does he's climbing well, l cap okay so the movie opens with shatner most of the way up El Capitan. And I got to say, that's not Shatner. <laughs> um, 
I've I've watched this movie several times, and <laughs> and you've, time, you've climbed rocks, haven't you? I I am a rock climber. Yeah, um, and I can tell you that the way that Shatner is standing there, he is not a climber. Uh, <laughs> the The guy that is actually standing in for him is at least thirty years younger and probably a hundred pounds lighter. <laughs> but hey, no. what are you going to do? It's movie magic. One thing I do want to point out. This is Captain Kirk doing something stupid, but this is Captain Kirk doing something stupid that is only going to affect him. This is not Captain Kirk driving a 300-year-old antique car off of a cliff, a cliff in Iowa somehow, off of a cliff and destroying a priceless, priceless antique. This is Captain Kirk just putting himself in danger. Some people know what I'm talking about and We'll get there in Listen, future episodes, but the the minute that Nokia sponsored that car, it stopped being an <laughs> antique. <laughs> Just because they drove it into the Grand Iowan Canyon does not mean anything. <laughs> I I would like to know what the natural disaster was that caused <laughs> that canyon in Iowa. <laughs> uh, I believe it was fracking. They were they were fracking right there. They they were only fracking in one spot over and over again. Because I watched and was like, no, that Zindi thing back in Enterprise, that was Florida. That wasn't Iowa. There was, there was no trace there. <laughs> uh, it was that time that uh, Q and the Borg were trying to kill baby Kirk. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You you wouldn't remember it. It was on um, uh, the third season of Enterprise. <laughs> Some have a bad feeling that they're going to try to explain it in Discovery. <laughs> The show that shall not be named. <laughs> okay. So Kirk is climbing El Capitan and, uh, you know, everybody's talking or everybody's watching him and go, Oh no. And then of course, Spock just flies up next to him in rocket boots. Cause that's a thing now. And <laughs> they, they talk for a minute and Kirk's like, Spock, I'm kind of busy. <laughs> and then of course what happens? Kirk falls. So Spock has to go pick him up. And he catches him right before he hits the ground and bones has a heart attack. Cause you know, he's like 90 years old at this point and watching all of this go down. He's Oh, my friend's going to die. Now, which now is a couple of, a couple of things on this. First, first of all, Spock's makeup oof, doesn't quite look right. Does it? It's uh, again, not just me. Again, we're going for cheap. Yes, it, it kind of looks like they forgot to pencil in the rest of his uh, eyebrows oh, when they cut okay. off the half to make it. So we've been watching all of the old series Star Trek movies for this. And I got to tell you, Spock's eyebrows, its they should write a movie about Spock's eyebrows. <laughs> because they change so much. Sometimes they're real sh- sharp and super up and pointy. Sometimes they're out and look pensive. Sometimes they're kind of down a little bit. Spock's eyebrows are an entire story of themselves. It's amazing. <laughs> no, here's here's just a random note that I'm just taking as a metaphor for myself. Kirk falls off the cliff. Spock saves him. Kirk is wearing Denver Broncos colors. Spock is wearing Seattle Seahawks colors. Go Hawks. So I know the demographic of this movie. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you're one of the few who saw that. <laughs> anyway. And also, why would the Seahawks save the Broncos? That makes no sense. <laughs> it's a metaphor for the fact we traded our quarterback to him this last year. 
All right, fair enough. <laughs> but this so. this scene, first of all, this scene is only here to set up a joke later, a scene later on in the movie. Oh, and it's not a good one. And okay. like Spock diving, when Spock does his dive, it he's on an inversion table. I mean, the <laughs> movement, he's on, he, I've been on an inversion table. He just is doing it. You mean where he puts his hands straight in the air and just suddenly swings 180 <laughs> degrees? <laughs> and again, why did Wearing we have to have the close-ups? of Kirk falling because that stuff doesn't that stuff isn't doesn't look in reality he'd be bouncing off that rock a number of times I would think oh yeah El Capitan is not straight is so why again why the choice to actually show those scenes you could have shot that all from a stunt from a you know from a long scene and still gotten the full effect I don't understand the reasoning I do the director was the guy they were doing close-ups of. It's funny how director actors are on screen a lot. Just saying. thought about that. Oh it's my a God, thing. you're right. <laughs> Wait, um, it's the same William Shatner who's directing it that is actually the stuff. I just assume the no, guys no, no, no. The, the, the director is William P. Shatner. In the movie, it's William T. Shatner. It's two different guys. <laughs> um so interestingly enough i actually had those climbing shoes that kirk had (laughs) they're really comfy anyway but mine didn't have all the the weird stuff drawn on them that they drew on those because because i I love how they made the future well yeah they made them futuristic by drawing yellow lines on them (laughs) mine don't have that in all fairness, climbing shoes do look like something from the future, usually, because they've got all kinds of rubber patches to like protect your ankles and stuff. <laughs> so they look futuristic. That said, they don't look that futuristic. <laughs> so uh, Bones is really upset about this. Uh, while this is all going on, we also cut over to Chekhov and Sulu, who are lost in the forest. Now, here's the <laughs> thing they're holding communicators. And they're talking to the ship and, and Uhura is like, Hey, you guys want me to send a shuttle? They're like, Oh no, 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 no. We're good. We're everything's fine here. Everything's fine. And I'm, and they're like, please don't tell anybody. Now they're holding a communicator. Yes. For 300, fu- 300 years in the future. And it can't tell them to turn left. <laughs> also, like, I, I just don't get it. Also, I get that the Enterprise's uh, transporters are broken. That doesn't mean that every transporter pad on Earth is broken. Mm-hmm. They easily could have had Starfleet beam them to Starfleet Command and then right? up to the ship. Would Why not very- just grab their communicator and be like, uh, yeah, can I talk to uh, Tony's Pizzeria in San Francisco? <laughs> hey, guys, you want to beam me over? I'm feeling like a slice. <laughs> Nobody has to admit they're lost. All they got to do is I just want some pizza. What are you going to do? It also, makes no uh, sense. Ahura uh, doesn't, doesn't have the ability to be like, all right, just go straight 300 meters and <laughs> turn left. No, she's like, well, you know, let me know if you guys want to ride. <laughs> Well, yeah, they even tried the blizzard blizzard joke. And it's like, my smartphone would tell me you're not in a blizzard. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> and again, we're setting this up because they want some comedic pieces. But 
you kind of have you're forcing it a bit here if you have to make circumstances that don't quite work with the the world that you're in you know yeah it's not good i mean it just everything felt really forced i mean i get they're trying to go for this like really cute little scene everybody's on shore leave they've gone camping i mean they they sit down and they try to do a round of row 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 your boat <laughs> i mean Oh, it just does not work. Everything feels forced. Now, don't get me wrong. This is the first time in the whole um, franchise where DeForest Kelly really gets to put forth some comedic chops. <laughs> and and he really, he does. He gets to ham it up and he gets to be, you know, as negative as he wants to be, but also just like ripping on everybody. <laughs> and it's it's a lot of fun. But it's a lot of fun for like 30 seconds, and then you got to put up with the rest of it. <laughs> and, in, and in truth, he's a little much funnier than the other people in the scene. I mean, honestly. Mm. <laughs> yep. He he's really got is. timing. He's, he's, he's got the rhythm, and it's just kind of falling flat with the people where he's working with. Let's be honest. It's falling flat on Shatner. <laughs> I don't I, seriously. I don't know if it was just the the pressures of of being the director, but his timing is terrible in this movie. Yes, it yes. just doesn't work. It's like every single scene, he was like, "All right, now you do your scenes and cut. I'm going to do mine now." And you're like, <laughs> "Oof." <laughs> Which it seems odd. A guy who had been working in television as long as he had, right? I mean, you he would, should know you better. Would, yeah, yeah. It it. Uh, so like I said, it, it's one of those things that it's, it's difficult for me to uh, to say, yeah, this, this is all on you, Shatner, just with the difficulties. But at the same time, some of the choices made just were there's a few yeah. things that I'll, I'll that just seems like you kind of left stuff on the table that you could have done something with. Yep. Agreed. All right. So we're done with, uh, with being in the national park and we're going to get the hell out of here and head <laughs> back over to paradise city. Now I made the joke at the beginning of this about paradise city. That's actually what it's called. It's, this is true. This is I, actually I, written in the novelization. Listen, it's 1989 guns and roses happened. Nobody <laughs> is going to call anything paradise city anymore ever. <laughs> So just so we can put this in perspective, Paradise City is the is the intergalactic uh, city of, or excuse me, intergalactic planet of peace is Nimbus 3 yes. uh, that Paradise City is on. We, we need to point out, this is a lifeless lump of dirt that has, for some reason, one little town on it. And this is absolutely one of those situations where the government has stepped in and said, <laughs> we're going to call this a thing and tell everybody we did a thing yes. so that everybody will be happy. Yes. we Because, you know, there are better planets, but I'm not giving up. I mean, if I'm a Klingon, I'm not giving up a decent planet in Klingon space for intergalactic Oof. planet of peace. If I'm the Romulan, same thing. If I'm the Federation, same thing. Nobody's giving up a planet people can easily live on this was as you said this was one of those things to do to say that we did it not because we wanted to see it done amen <laughs> so so we're gonna get a quick glimpse of paradise city again uh basically cybok and all of his for some reason he's been able to find a ton of people out in the desert <laughs> and he's amassed an army and they march on paradise city now when and it looks i'm sorry go ahead pardon me 
I was just going to say, it looks like some kind of combination of like 10 commandments and Mad Max. <laughs> it's terrible. See, and this, this is a, this is again, bringing in the thing. Shatner really had the, the idea. He wanted to see something similar to the, um, the scene of the uh, Arabs taking Aqaba from Lawrence of Arabia, but the number of people he could hire um, was brought down significantly by budget cuts. And for our younger listeners, this is before Lord of the Rings. So if you wanted to actually have a scene that had a large crowd of people in it, you actually had to go out and find a bunch of people to be in it. Um, after Lord of the Rings, we had technology where you could just basically throw up a crowd anywhere. But for this sort of thing, you actually needed practical people to be able to do this. Now, there are camera tricks that you could probably use to get around that, say like Scorsese did in uh, Last Temptation of Christ, where he made eight guys mm-hmm. look like 50 guys. But it, we're not exactly at the the age of copy and paste yet. <laughs> But one thing about Paradise City is we, again, we have to hit an old trope. Okay. The Romulan ambassador is going to meet her human and her Klingon counterparts. So what does she walk through a bar? Yep. Okay. Because in space we have to have bars as Buck Rogers, Buck Rogers had bars, you know, ever since Star Wars in 1977, anytime that we go someplace in space and people were going to be, Oh, let's say a little bit shady. It's going to be a bar, not a coffee house where there's a bunch of hipsters, hipsters, not a bowling alley. No, it's a bar. Yep. I mean, at this point you're walking through here and you, I'm almost expecting like the Klingon equivalent of John Taffer to be screaming at somebody. You can't keep a torque in the kitchen. You know, right? it's, it's, it's like, it's do been they not done. have, is there no office space? <laughs> like some, there's gotta be a lawyer in town. <laughs> Right. Like somebody somewhere has got space that isn't for drinking and doesn't have weird cat women in it. <laughs> even, even Sheriff Star starring, uh, starring Ben Chang had a intergalactic bar scene in it. Ben Chang. Uh, okay. So <laughs> we have a Klingon, a Romulan and a human walk into a bar. <laughs> this is not a joke. Actually, the whole thing's been a joke, but yeah. And while they're in the bar, they start chit chatting a little bit. Cybok starts coming through the gates of the city with his, his Mad Maxian. I swear to God, there's at least one best boy and one grip out there. <laughs> there's like, I mean, and I mean, the size of his crowd is like a football team. It's not really that big. So then we pop back to the campfire and we're going to do our round of row, row, row your boat. Um, the whole scene just confuses me. We're going to try our, my famous McCoy family recipe. for beans. <laughs> Come on. There's no McCoy family recipe for beans. You're a doctor on a starship. You didn't grow up in Wyoming. Come on. Sorry. Though the scene uh, does have my favorite, favorite lines. God, I liked him better before he died. <laughs> Oh, I thought your favorite line was ranch style, ranch style beans. <laughs> How did somebody not pick up on the marketing for this? McCoy's old style, futuristic beans, right? <laughs> All right. So they sing row, row, row your boat. And then they go to sleep. Spock doesn't understand it, but I'll bet you he'll figure it out eventually. <laughs> I don't know. Um, 
And then we never seen a... data do something like this, right? I was trying to right. think about the words. Oh. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I I do not understand why you would row, row, row your boat. Shut up. It's like shut, shut, shut your mouth. Right. You've lived with these guys on a ship for like twenty years. You know what they're talking about. <laughs> At this point, you're just being annoying on purpose. Right. <laughs> All right, so we're going to switch out to some Klingons because we can't have a, an old series movie without Klingons. Heck yeah, and I like these Klingons, actually. Todd Bryant and Spice Williams. I like so, these Klingons. Yeah, we have a, a a middling you know TV actor and, of course, a bodybuilding woman. Fantastic. <laughs> She's impressive as all hell. I'm just saying. She said she was pretty stoked because she originally thought when she got the casting call that she was going to be uh, Kirk's love interest. And then when they told her that she was going to be fitted for Klingon makeup, she she was pretty stoked for it. She was pretty happy that that's the way it ended up. That's fantastic. Uh, let's see. She's playing the character Vixus. And he is playing the character Captain oh. Claw. Now, I did read uh, the novelization of this. Captain Claw was a gunner who did something really, really cool once and ended up with his own ship because of it. So this is why he has a huge (laughs) gunning station hooked up to his captain's chair. (laughs) Okay, hold on. This is not a gunner's station. A gunner's station on a Klingon vessel is the captain's chair would be in front of a console. (laughs) This man has a periscope. This man has a full-on submarine-style periscope, so much so that he actually says, down periscope. (laughs) Puts his arms over the handles and looks through to see the quote-unquote space garbage, which I must point out is yet another Voyager probe. (laughs) Actually, this one was Pioneer. Bull crap. Pioneer, Pioneer 10. You say what you want. That was a Voyager probe. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just what it was. It was the same model they used for V'ger. I don't buy it. Not for a minute. <laughs> no, it was completely different, man. Right? Yeah, yeah. It started with a P. Harv Bennett's really got a thing for those probes, man. So, yeah, I, I do think it's interesting, though. So, I okay, book aside... This guy is a gunner, all that aside. Once again, Star Trek has to turn every ship into a submarine. Yeah. It's all about submarine warfare. We've got a periscope. We've got the red lights. Run silent, run deep. It's got to be a submarine. Yeah. We we can thank Gene for that. (laughs) And honestly, I mean, that that kind of motif will end up being uh, in Battlestar Galactica, both the original and the uh, later series as well. Very submarine. Yep. Very submarine-centric, I guess you would say. Oh, yeah. Battlestar Galactica. If you look at their entire bridge, it's a sub-bridge. Yeah. I mean, it's. I'm sure the guys on actual submarines would be like, that's luxury, but still. Oh, just just a side thing on one of the really bad uh, movie channels. I saw a movie that was shot in 2016 that was a submarine drama starring uh, Tim Russ and uh, Tia Carrera. In, in the submarine, the set, the bridge of the submarine basically looked like somebody's basement that they'd put some card tables and computers up in. <laughs> I 
just watched a sci-fi movie like that recently where everything just, it literally looked like cardboard boxes sitting <laughs> on tables. And I'm like, this is bad. It was, it was like a Czech movie that was translated into English. <laughs> real, real bad. Anyway. Okay. So Kirk gets interrupted on his vacation. He just found out about the fact that uh, there's this disturbance at Paradise City. And again, so we course, have to send a shuttle to get him. We can't. Well, yeah, because once again, Scotty can't make transporters work. <laughs> and and the only thing I can guess here is that um, he didn't bring his communicator. Okay, we, we know that. He says that. Though Spock didn't bring his, that's a little odd. Mm-hmm. And so I guess the only thing is that you don't really, it's rude to transport somebody without calling them first. No, because they offered to transport uh checkoff or no, they didn't <clears throat> offer checkoff and Sulu asked if they could be transported. And she said they couldn't, but she could send a show. Yes. Yeah, I, I, uh, it's still, I mean, they still, of course, here's the thing. I mean, Starfleet command could have beamed Kirk back, but if I'm, if I'm a technician and you say, I don't care if we haven't called him yet, beam Jim Kirk back here right now. I'm going to be one of the guys like, I have no idea what he's doing right now. So I'm not going to do that. That's a fair point. You don't, the last thing you want is to accidentally beam in a naked Kirk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, that said, uh, Kirk did demand beaming McCoy without his permission. <laughs> yeah. Well, we know Jim isn't really up on the, uh, the niceties. Right. <laughs> It sucks. They, I'm just going to go out on the limb and say, Hey, look, the producers of star Trek have told me every single movie, Scotty can't fix anything. (laughs) So at the end of the day, and again, Scotty, his last time on star Trek was in a transporter. He was stuck in a transporter for (laughs) 80 years he can't fix transport transporters. Okay. So the really they, odd thing is not once do we see him just turning it off and turning it back on again. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the shuttle comes and picks them up, takes them out to the enterprise. We do not get the obligatory enterprise flyby. Oh, it takes goodness. 20 minutes, right? Thank oh my goodness. God. So tired of that. Um, we know what it they, looks like. We've been watching this thing for a long time now. Right. And everybody's really happy because they actually have an enterprise to go to. They're not stuck on a Klingon vessel again. Um, however, this particular enterprise, as you remember from the last movie, they were given it and they were told it was quote unquote, totally a new one. And, and no, this is yeah. the constitution. They just repainted right? the constitution and gave it to him. They, they, the sticker fell off. They could see which <laughs> ship it really was. It's in real bad shape. Scotty's talking to him on, on the communicator. And he's like, ah, uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't do that if I were you guys. It's real scary. Everything's not, <laughs> nothing's working. So they, they come into the shuttle bay and it's like, a, <laughs> it's a, it's a white knuckler all the way in. I still think they should have had that shuttle come into the shuttle bay four feet off the ground and just slammed to the floor. <laughs> and he landed. You can walk away from right <laughs> Now, the thing that, that I found really funny about this scene is two crewmen come running out and put stairs next to the shuttle so that everybody can get down. Um, I, I thought this was funny enough that I started trying to read up on it because I'm like, you know, like, are these guys credited as stair guy or something? 
It turns out those stairs are actually Patrick Stewart's stairs from his trailer for next gen. <laughs> and they went out at the last minute and stole his stairs to use for this scene. <laughs> so somewhere in the parking lot, there's somebody like, what the bloody hell? Right. <laughs> you know, that one episode of next gen where his nose is all bandaged up. That's why. <laughs> uh, while Kirk's on the shuttle, he's also got his go climb a rock shirt. Uh, which makes me real happy, but it does draw attention to the fact that he's wearing a jacket, which is the first of a, a series of captain's jackets that becomes a thing on Star Trek, the next generation. And uh, I believe Janeway has one on Voyager. Um, um, Strange new worlds. Strange uh, new worlds. I don't think, um, I don't think they did it on DS nine. Actually. I was like, I don't, I don't remember uh, Ben wearing uh, Ben had a, uh, a vest thing that was similar to what, uh, what Kirk had or what uh, Picard had in uh, first contact. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, that thing's weird. He's but, also got his, his great chef's vest with all the swirls on it. <laughs> Sorry, man. Those out of cook. Yeah. Right. But, uh, um, we haven't seen captain Burnham wear anything like that up to this point. Of course, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> So somewhere in here, um, there, there is a hostage situation that's brewing in paradise city. Um, I honestly, I, I don't have any notes about this scene cause I don't, I'm not entirely sure. I remember seeing them actually take the hostages. So we see, we see Cybok show up, um, in the, in the bar and oh, that's because, right. so because bar, yeah. um, Caitlin Dar tells him, you know, I can guarantee that, uh, you know, uh, you know, our governments will do anything we can to get him back. He's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm counting on. And right. he points out to him because, uh, Warner says, you know, why are you taking this? This, this is a nothing planet. Why would you even do this? And he's like, yeah, but this planet has one thing. No other planet has. And that's the three of you. Yep. So at this point, we don't know what his motives are, but we know he's trying to stir things up. Yep. All he cares about is that they're good bargaining chips. Um, and this actually works out because what does the Federation do? Federation sends Jim Kirk. Now I'm going to give this movie, this one thing, um, Harv Bennett who plays the Admiral explains to Jim, Hey, this is happening. Need you to go out there and take care of it. And Jim says, there's gotta be other ships. And he says, well, yeah, there's lots of ships, but I need you. Yeah, to, to which Kirk, sh yeah, but Kirk should have spoken up and said, "Okay, great, but the Enterprise is a shambles." Yes, maybe you've got another ship I could take a ride on. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Oh. Uh, that or could come along with us, maybe, or anything other than let's just send that thing out here. But again, this is part of my theory that a lot of Starfleet really didn't like Jim too much. And we're doing a lot to try to get rid of him. <laughs> right now. I will say though, them putting him on this crappy ship does give me my favorite line of the entire movie. In fact, if I'm being honest, probably the only line I actually like, and that's when Kirk sits down in the captain's chair and he just kind of wiggles around for a minute. And they're like, what's up? And he's like, I miss my old chair, <laughs> which was a comment to happen. The fact that, the um the previous uh, bridge set had been left out in the rain supposedly and uh, and uh, 
was damaged beyond repair. So this was a whole new setup. In fact, I think this is the first Enterprise that we see carpet on. Yes, this is the first one that had carpet. Well, the first of the old series Enterprises with carpet. Um, I'm going to guess it probably had more to do with the fact that the last movie kind of sounded like a cafeteria. But meh. Also the fact that they had to to match the corridors. And the corridors are carpeted since the corridors of this movie are from the Enterprise D. I mean, what isn't from the Enterprise D in this movie? <laughs> I swear to God, they showed up at on Friday at 5 p.m. every weekend. And we're like, hey, guys, can we start filming now? <laughs> now, one thing is really puzzling to me about this, though. We're getting everybody together here and we're looking at the bridge and I'm seeing three captains. Spock, Kirk, Scotty and four commanders, Uhura, Chekhov. Zulu and McCoy. So Starfleet is starting to become kind of like most states uh, department of transportations where you're having more supervisors than you are actual workers. Yeah, honestly, they, I mean, that's, that's a problem. I I don't, I I don't think it's this movie's fault. And the reason I don't think it's this movie's fault is because Star Trek has always had a problem with rank, right? They, they're so intent on keeping the same faces on camera but they try to go for the realism of giving everybody promotions. Yes. And when they give everybody promotions, now they've got an entire bridge that's stacked (laughs) up with commanders and captains. And it's like, well, okay, hold on a sec. None of these people should still be here. They all should have gone off to their own commands or their own assignments. None of them should be here. The only person who should stick around is the captain. And that's a maybe. And while I really, really hate using this phrase because it's so overused, this this is a missed opportunity. You could have had the getting the band back together segment. Mm-hmm. Everybody's off doing their separate thing, but Jim really needs you. Jim Kirk really needs you, so I'm going to drop what I'm doing and go help Jim Kirk. Well, and seriously, that whole um, shore leave thing in the National Monument – why not? Why not do that as the getting the band back together? They could yes. have transported all over the world and picked everybody up and been like, hey, I really need you for this. Yes. I mean, you're exactly right. We have scenes that really don't need to be there. And it seems like this could have, you could have explained explained exactly why you have all those people in the, in the same ship. But at the same time, have something witty, have something cool. Um, like I said, I know it's a cliche. But we're talking Star Trek. This is a this is a property built upon cliches. Absolutely. Um, I you know this is one of those things they I don't know they they could have played some you're the best around and uh, <laughs> you know some kind of great late eighties <laughs> montage would have been fantastic. Okay, so we're back on the Klingon ship. Um, our good buddy Claw, because you have to say it that way. Uh, he proclaims if i kill kirk i'll be the greatest warrior in the galaxy okay um cool right first off you're talking about a warrior culture that that worships kalos who is supposed to be the greatest warrior in the galaxy i do believe you're a heretic sir um but also like it's kirk 
He's just an annoyance. He's not the greatest warrior in the galaxy. Even he will tell you everything he's done has been luck. (laughs) But keep in mind, Claw is a very young Klingon compared to a lot of the Klingons we've seen compared to like uh, uh, Korg in Star Trek three and Kamalog, the ambassador. So I'm getting a feeling. By young, do you mean stupid? Well, here's here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that Kirk might have been used as a propaganda recruiting tool for the military. Well, that's fair. Um, you know that he was the boogeyman. He he was basically the Klingon boogeyman that uh, that you know uh, old warriors told their children if you don't go to sleep, Jim Kirk is going to come and sleep with your mother. You know <laughs> that type thing. Um, He's on so, every poster for uh, VD. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> So I'm guessing that it's that the uh, the whole thing is that maybe he was used as a uh, as a propaganda tool uh, against the that's fair for the Klingons, and that so, is rationalization, right? Um, <laughs> so after he has his little proclamation, we switch back over to Paradise City again. Uh, well, kinda. It's a hostage video that Paradise City published, and it's um, it's really paced well too. And I mean the blocking on it. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm gonna be real honest. The way this this thing is produced, it looks like they're asking for money to help starving children. I was waiting for them to start breaking out into song. <laughs> oh. So the, the 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 Klingon ambassador, he's standing there and he's like, We we need your help. Please come help us. And then for some reason the Romulan ambassador walks out behind him and just marches calmly down the stairs. Like <laughs> look, for for a donation of only one <laughs> cup of coffee a day, you can save us from these hostages. And then the camera just seamlessly pans from her over to David Warner as the human. And you're like, okay, seriously, this, this was filmed on purpose. This was weird. <laughs> and sadly, it's the best executed and directed piece of film in the entire movie. <laughs> right. It's, and it's the most believable too. Oh, by the way, uh, Cord, our great Klingon uh, uh, general, uh, Cord's being played by Charles Cooper, who uh, fans of Next Generation will know as the late Chancellor Kempek. Yes. Uh, I read originally that um, the actor, oh, George Martin, who is who ended up playing God in this movie and, will, and also plays uh, Admiral Hansen, in uh, Best of Both Worlds, uh, Star Trek TNG, he was originally supposed to play Cord, but Cooper uh, Cooper's audition blew Shatner away, and Shatner really wanted him for the part. Well, also, George Murdoch's not very good, at least in this Murdoch. movie. Pardon me, George Murdoch, who also played the yeah. Doctor on Battlestar Galactica, just because we mentioned Battlestar Galactica before, thought I'd just bring that in that little tidbit. He played the Doctor in the original Battlestar Galactica. Now, in that, he was also not that great. <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh, so, so Spock finishes watching the hostage video, and he's like, hmm. Dang, yeah, that guy so looks familiar. I'm pretty sure that's my brother. <laughs> <laughs> Crap. <laughs> and at this point, uh, you also have to think, it's like, and I'm the one that my old man gave all the crap. Yeah, right? All right. This, this is my brother and I'm the one who had to put up with all the stuff. All right, man. What? I just don't get it. Cybok, they treat him like nothing can ever go wrong, <laughs> man. 
and he gets good grades. The girls all like him. It's just not fair. So they, uh, they head down to the, or while they're watching this, they're, they're in the, uh, the observation lounge on the enterprise a, and I just have to take a moment and notice there's an old, uh, sailing ship wheel down here, which I, I believe is how they actually steer the ship <laughs> or maybe when they get their own Dwight Schrute down there, he's like, you know, you, you go, go ahead, go steer the ship. That's fine. No, no, no. I'll be up on the bridge. We don't do anything up there. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so I'm thinking this is the very first 10 forward right here. The, the first iteration of 10 forward or like they use the room. Like the, the first idea of having, uh, having your, uh, your front forward, uh, 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 what what would you call it? A lounge, yeah. relaxation lounge. Because I think in the in the motion picture they had a lounge, but it kind of felt like it was like the center of the ship kind of thing. Yeah, um, I do like this this transition to hey, you get to watch all the stars while you have a drink. Because nothing says uh, I'm going to enjoy my drink like watching the universe swirl around you. That's that's going to be great when you've got a few in you. <laughs> Oh, the really cool thing is what they're actually looking at out there is just before the opening sequence of Star of Star Trek Two: Wrath of Khan. <laughs> Starfield they see is reused, right, from the opening credits of Wrath of Khan. Again, we're seeing the savings here, right? Can you imagine sitting in ten forward and you're just like, oh look, 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 Lieutenant Jones, he's going <laughs> to hurl again. We must be at warp four. <laughs> Of course, that's also where you're going to be when you see like the big god hand of Apollo reach out and grab the front of your ship. Yeah, that's going to freak some people out. Right. (laughs) All right. So Spock is like, hey, look, that's my brother. He's kind of a jerk. Oh, actually, he doesn't say brother yet. He doesn't? doesn't? Nope. He doesn't tell him it's his brother yet. He just says he knows him. Yeah. He was a a, uh, scholar. He was a revolutionary. That's right. That's right. He's a revolutionary and he, he turned away from logic. And Bones thinks that's pretty funny. A passionate Vulcan. So this next section, I'm not really sure what was going on. I think I was just kind of upset at the names. I said, uh, they're receiving a message from Paradise City. Rags to riches or so they say, you got to keep pushing for the fortune and the fame. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a Guns N' Roses fan, if you can't tell. (laughs) They got a message from Paradise City. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it was Cybok. (laughs) (laughs) And he's telling them that that they need to show up and otherwise he's going to kill the hostages. So, uh, yeah, no, nope. Keep on going. So then the Enterprise makes it to Nimbus 3. And what are they going to do? Well, they got to storm the city. And there's only one way to do that, and that's to for some reason, go out into the middle of nowhere and walk. Cause they didn't want to be detected. How many light years did they travel? And they were like, you know, we're going to have to be all sneaky like now. Oh, so yes. Also we're doing the standard, the standard enterprise uh, thing of we're going to go down there and take care of this. So let's take the captain, the first well, officer, the second officer being Sulu. And, and commander Uhura as well. Let's take, let's take four out of our six command crew and go down to this very dangerous situation. Now, one thing, listen, these people are all the highest paid of the people who don't get money. <laughs> so 
they're not they're not about to stay up there. They've got to earn their money by going down and doing all the hardest stuff. <laughs> now, one thing that's interesting, it was written out of the script, but the other Starfleet personnel that are with them on this mission, those are Marines. This is like real Marines. These are these are Starfleet <gasps> Marines, and it was written out of the script. It was something that Shatner wanted to bring in because Roddenberry originally wanted Marines on the Enterprise during the during the series. That was. Do you think maybe Roddenberry was a Navy man? Just slightly. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez um, Louise! And then we'd see those. We'll see Makos in in Enterprise, but uh, this is actually these are the only usage we've seen in any of the movies and probably anywhere other than enterprise of Starfleet Marines. Do we see during the dominion war? Yeah. I was thinking about that. I'm like, uh, well, the Makos were in it cause the, the Makos are Marines, right? But they were definitely mentioned in the dominion war. Okay. All right. But anyway, um, all right. So as they approach, um, the, the crew takes a shuttle down to the surface and except for the one person they leave behind who they always leave behind Pavel, we got to leave Chekhov behind. So they contact him. He's like, hello, this is captain Pavel Chekhov. And they do such a great job of pulling this off because he doesn't even put on a captain's uniform. I know this is a Star Trek geeky type thing, but if you're going to tell somebody you're a captain, and you're doing this this really division. Do you think you'd put a captain's uniform on? Okay, let's be honest. I love Star Trek. Not a damn one of these people who are on the bridge ever look anything up. <laughs> like, I spend my life like, hmm, who is in that movie? I'll look on Google. Hmm, how do I do this to my car? I'll look on Google. How do I boil water? I'm going to look at Google. None of these people looks anything up. They have these massive computer <laughs> systems with massive databases. Who looks it up? The other computer data. <laughs> He's the only one who looks anything up. That's what the future is going to turn out like people. Right. So just a side note, Walter Koenig, uh, who plays Pavel Chekhov, said, said he shot his all of his parts in eight days. Uh, it sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, when I look at that when, when I saw that and I started going over the scenes of my brain, it's like, yeah, you know what? I could I could see how that would be the case. I'll be honest with you. They probably could have shot all of his scenes with a camera from his house and he'd have been <laughs> fine. Yeah, yeah. This is totally Pavel Chekhov. Oh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> this is Captain Chekhov. Oh, wrong accent. Damn. Oh, also um, something that's pointed out. Uh, and a friend of mine pointed this out to me, Chekhov's Russian accent. He turns the uh, V's into W's. Mm -hmm. That's not a Russian accent. A Russian accent nope. is you turn a W's into V's. Yep. So that was just somebody, somebody who speaks a little bit of Russian had to point that out to me. Yeah, no, uh, a lot of the Slavic accents are like that, actually. <laughs> Um, they, so they, they creep a little bit and when they creep, they, they see some dudes on horses and they're like, we're, we, we are going to need their horses because there's horses everywhere. Sometimes they have horns glued on their heads. Sometimes they don't, but there's horses everywhere in the galaxy. And there's only one way they're going to get a hold of these horses. And it's very, very clear. Sexy naked Uhura. 
Okay, so this is the thing. I can't tell you the number of times that I've wanted to sneak up some sneak into some place, and I've told the only female in my group, "Why don't you strip down to at least your underwear and start dancing around?" Mm-hmm. But you know what? Nobody ever does it. So interestingly enough, this this actually was there was a pre production meeting. Screenwriter David Lowerty was joking with the, his fellow writers and said, what if commander Uhura was an erotic dancer and they put it in the movie? The producers were like, yeah, we like that. <laughs> Never joke about anything with women getting undressed around Hollywood producers, because that's right? always going to be a green light. Those are jokes you could not make. Oh my God. So for the record, the song that was playing in the background while she was doing her fan dance in the desert, was The Moon's A Window to Heaven by Jerry Goldsmith and John Bettis. Um, Also real, real weird. Um, I just, I I don't get it, but whatever, you know. (laughs) So they do that. And then the, the guys that were on their horses, they do deliver a funny line where one of them's looking up and then everybody hops over the, the, the hill with their guns drawn and they're like, Oh man. <laughs> and it's one of the oddest things because in the original cut of this movie, now I watched this movie on Paramount plus streaming, but I have it on disc of course. And I saw it in the theater on the disc in the theater. One of the guys is constantly saying, is she na- asking the question? Is she naked? Yes. While they're crawling up there, the Paramount plus stream that is gone. I have yeah. no idea. That is weird. Cause I remember that from the, the movie too. Yeah. I, why would people, why would you take the time to go in and edit that out? It's not like it was so, a great line to begin with, but why would you take the time to go in and edit that out? Right. Well, a lot of this movie revolves around why would you take the time to dot, dot, dot. <laughs> very, very well put. Right. Excellent point. All right, folks. Well, we've done it again. We've taken way too long on this one. So that does it for part one of Star Trek V. Join us next time when we discuss part two and see if they ever actually do meet God. In the meantime, I'd like to thank our friends over at Five Year Mission for the use of their song Beam Down as our intro and outro. Make sure you head on over to fiveyearmission.net to check out their songs. They do one song for every TOS episode. They're really great stuff. I highly advise checking them out, buying a few while you're there. Thanks again. Talk to you next time. Stargate 832 2016.